welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week we're going to be talking about the new Marvel movie Doctor Strange starring Benedict Cumberbatch. We have recorded several podcasts in the past about superhero movies and I feel like perhaps because of the year that we started doing this podcast it's not been overwhelmingly positive. We have given quite a lot of bad reviews to what is arguably my personal favourite genre and definitely a big favourite of Morgan's, despite her generally being more of like an art film buff. Doctor Strange we were not terribly impressed with. (laughs) I think this film was released um, just over a week ago in the UK and it was released this weekend in the US. As far as I know at the moment, it's Rotten Tomatoes review rating is hovering around 90% and while obviously Rotten Tomatoes is not an incredibly reliable metric of whether people love a film, that seems shockingly high (laughs) to both of us. So um, we're going to assume you all know what Doctor Strange is. You know, it's Marvel's zillionth new franchise and it's about a guy who is basically a wizard. And I'm going to start a little bit about talking about the marketing for this film because I think it's really interesting in the context of how people have reacted to the film's release. Because I obviously look at a great deal of kind of geek movie marketing in my day job because I have to write about all these trailers and look to see if there's anything interesting coming up on the horizon. And the overwhelming theme of the marketing for Doctor Strange has been talking about how quote-unquote weird it is and how impressive the visual effects are. And I I agree that the visual effects are really good. That was one of my favourite aspects of the film. But that's really what Marvel Studios has been kind of pressing into throughout the film's marketing campaign. And the director's been talking about it because that was one of his highlights of making the film and so on, right? And I think that's been really effective because it's something that people are really bringing up in reviews. And obviously the visual effects is something that comes up as a very clear highlight because it looks very different from the other Marvel movies, so it's easy to pick out. But the idea of it being a really strange and unusual new turning point is kind of treating it like it's this Del Toro-esque, occult, Alistair Crowley kind of shit going on. And it's like... This film is extremely formulaic, which is what we're going to talk about in a second. And the kind of magic aspects are certainly not anything new in terms of Hollywood fantasy filmmaking. It's not particularly any more imaginative or fresh than the Hellblazer Constantine adaptation. They've got better effects on how to illustrate the alternate worlds and the other dimensions and stuff, but that's basically it. And I think people are kind of so keen to see something fresh and new in the superhero genre that they've really just decided to accept this marketing spiel. And that's not actually what is in the film. I definitely agree. While I was watching this movie, I was trying to figure out why is this getting such good reviews? So I think a lot of the time when a movie gets really good reviews and I don't like it, I can pretty easily identify why that's happening. Sometimes there's something that I don't like, but I get why other people like it, right? So I don't think Guardians of the Galaxy is very good, but I totally understand why other people respond to that movie. And sometimes I think a movie really is just garbage, but I can be like, oh, there's something sort of happening in the world right now. Like there's just some cultural moment that's leading to people liking this. And this one, I was just like, what is going on? Like, this is really bad. And I think it does have a lot to do with the marketing. Everyone's going through a dark time right now. And it's unfortunate (laughs) this film, which actually has no feel-good factor, is the one that people are like, I'm really glad we have a movie this winter when we're so close to the election, there's something to watch. And it's like, buddy, just just rewatch The Fast and the Furious. And I think that people are sort of bamboozled by the fact that there aren't any big explosions or guns in this movie also, I suspect has something to do with it. Because the one thing that is unusual is that the way they're fighting, it's not wildly original and obviously something like Daredevil or some of the Marvel TV shows are a little bit different in this way too but because the fighting is magic it's a little bit different in that way and I also kind of watching it was like it's refreshing that 
a bunch of stuff isn't blowing up. But other than that, there's just not much that's that different. And even the visual style, I thought a lot of the visual effects were incredibly impressive, but the actual way the movie is shot is exactly the same as every other Marvel movie that has come yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is something I mean, I'm going to talk about a bit later when we discuss the comics. After I've watched it, I was kind of thinking about all the Doctor Strange comics that I have had to read in the past few months. And... Although the visual style has been kind of inspired by the original creator, the artist Steve Ditko, and they do kind of take a lot of his trippy visual effects stuff, it reminds me a lot more of when Doctor Strange is in an Avengers comic. So you've got this character who's this weird mind-bending wizard, but he's basically having to exist within the visual world of like a relatively straightforward superhero comic. And that's what this film is, because they have to stay part of the visual design universe of the Marvel Studios franchise, which all look very homogenous, apart from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Um, so, like, you do have these cool visual effects, but the rest of the time, it's like Morgan said, it's shot in the same way. You know, it's clearly taking place in this relatively realistic universe. Yeah, which is just boring. Obviously, some of those Marvel movies are very good, but... I don't think anyone would argue that they are particularly visually striking. Like, that's not the strength of this universe. And it's something that I have complained about at length before. But for something like this, it's particularly aggravating. And if we want to just, we might as well just talk about the visual stuff now. Because what was really getting to me, and I don't know anything about this character except basic stuff that I've heard online regarding this movie, right? Like, I'm not, I only read comics. I just know what I've heard. Um, but I was watching it and I was like, this should just be a silly adventure type film. Like it needed to be more comic booky because they're talking about all of this magic stuff in an unbelievably serious way. And I was, I was thinking kind of about Personal Shopper, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago because we saw it at London Film Festival. And that's definitely a better movie than this, although a very weird one. But it's this, it had a kind of similar thing where they just sort of start talking in that movie about this really serious spirit world stuff. And that's really whiplashy in that movie. And in this, they do explain everything and it's less of a problem. But they're talking about some kind of silly fantasy stuff in an incredibly serious way. And I love fantasy. I spent my whole childhood reading fantasy novels. But some of what they're talking about is inherently kind of silly, but they have to treat it very seriously because it's in this universe. And I kind of thought if this movie were just done in a sort of like fun, campy way and shot in a fun, campy way, this would work so much better. Like it would just play better. It would seem less incongruous and it would be way more fun to watch this movie is not fun in any way i was thinking along similar lines and my sort of view of it was that they kind of got two-thirds of the way there to just leaning right into it and being really serious and into the topic and then kind of stopped because they keep there's there's a lot of humor in this movie but that humor feels like it was added afterwards and i think most of it was right because they brought in dan Harmon, the uh, showrunner of community to kind of add jokes because they were like this isn't funny enough and the marvel brand requires more humor so there's a couple of scenes in the movie where there's a joke and it just kind of stops the action right i mean there's also kind of visual humor and stuff in the film that works you know there's some like cute little moments like when uh doctor strange is stealing library books and that sort of thing but Kind of my view of this film is that I think they should have gone that extra third further and just taken it extremely seriously and had everyone just be like properly Lord of the Ringsing it, you know, really lean into the fantasy aspects and don't kind of hang a lab shade on the fact that it's a bit silly. Or like you said, they should have kind of just gone like a lot campier, you know, and yeah. they were kind of stuck in that hinterland. Yeah, and, and um, the jokes they added 
weren't funny. <laughs> like, Benedict Cumberbatch was, like, attempting to deliver these, like, really awkward jokes. And with maybe one or two exceptions, no one in the theater I was at, which there it wasn't, there weren't that many people there, but there was enough that you could kind of tell how the crowd was reacting. Like, no one was laughing. And I was just like, this is really awkward. Because <laughs> like, it's not working. Like, it wasn't playing at all. And it just felt like this weird joyless exercise in like attempting to again add humor as opposed to something like the first Thor movie or Guardians of the Galaxy which even though I don't like that movie particularly like definitely is funny like it has humor in it and this was kind of this like stapled on thing and it didn't work at all and regarding the visuals I thought it was interesting like again I'm not really a comics person but they showed the trailer for Logan before the movie which I'd seen on my computer screen but seeing it in the movie theater I had this thought looking at it that a lot of the shots to me looked like comic book panels and I don't really know why that was but for some reason they evoked that and it's not like there was some like crazy visual stuff going on in that trailer, but there was enough that it just looked a like a movie, but also it had this, there was just something in the visuals that evoked some kind of iconic lizard brain thing. And then you get to this and there's none of that at all. And I thought at least James Mangold and Matt clearly is trying to do something and they should just hire directors or allow the directors they hire to again attempt that but they clearly won't and i think that's way more a problem with the studio than the actual people that they hire and it's just a systemic issue like it's really holding them back from doing more interesting things which is unfortunate but that is not the only issue with this film so we will move on to those other problems so this is something that quite a few critics including myself have brought up as a really obvious thread in Doctor Strange and that it's, it follows exactly the same story formula as Iron Man. So you've got this kind of arrogant, successful career guy, rich American protagonist. And the story is kind of about him learning that not everything is about himself. The entire plot structure actually is exactly the same because, you know, he has this injury. He develops a skill slash weapon as a result, which is the Iron Man suit in Iron Man. And then he goes up against this uh, equivalent figure who's the villain, because obviously most supervillains tend to be the equivalent of the hero. And the whole plot structure follows that. There's just several issues with that, the first of which being that Benedict Cumberbatch isn't Robert Downey Jr. Because Benedict Cumberbatch is a great actor. I don't think he's particularly good in this, partly because I think they should have just let him keep his English accent. But <laughs> Which was like, I, yeah, the accent was weird to me. It's very bad. Yeah. It's just very bad. I don't know what he was trying to do, but it doesn't sound like any American person has ever sounded it was, ever. It was puzzling. Um, yeah. <laughs> I heard from someone that it was him attempting a Nebraska accent, but I was kind of Googling it and I couldn't see if he's actually said that in interviews. But um, whatever it was, I think... It was not the highlight. But in terms of that type of character, Doctor Strange inherently in the canon of the Marvel comics already is not a likable character. Actually, in terms of what we were talking about, the humour a minute ago, the inherent humour of Doctor Strange is coming from outside him. So instead of having an origin story that's taking him really seriously from like an interior stance, if you want to have a funny movie, you need to have Doctor Strange as a pre-existing character who's taking all of this really seriously and is a huge weirdo and really socially maladjusted. And then you have a secondary character who's the funny one who's like, what the fuck are you doing? That's how you add humour to Doctor Strange. And instead, they were trying to balance this idea of him being this rather obnoxious person, but like without the humour and charm of Robert Downey Jr. Because Iron Man, the whole point of Iron Man is that he is kind of 
awful, right? He's basically an arms dealer for most of the franchise, but you love him because Robert Downey Jr. is extremely charming and also because the films add like more sensitivity and you know the, you've got this arc about PTSD and that sort of thing. Like the Iron Man movies really work, you know, Iron Man 2 is bad, but the character Iron Man works in it. And in this, Benedict Cumberbatch isn't really that kind of actor. And also he's kind of been cast because he has this reputation for a serious drama. And like Sherlock is taken really seriously, but it's a lot funnier, but a lot of the humor is kind of at Sherlock's expense, you know, when they haven't really learned from that and brought it over. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate that they clearly are not so much in a meta way in the movie, but they have to have known that the Iron Man comparisons were going to spring up because it's so obvious it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, it's, it is, as you say, the exact I mean, same Kevin Feige, line. the producer who's basically in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has said in some recent interview that he's like, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing a meetup between Iron Man and Doctor Strange. They're going to be really cool pals in the Avengers franchise. And it kind of, I just have this strong suspicion that Doctor Strange is something that's happening because he personally is a huge fan. And it's just, you've misunderstood to what extent this is going to work on the screen. <laughs> yeah, but... Like, watching it and thinking about Iron Man, like, I haven't seen that first movie in a while, so this comment should kind of come with an asterisk, but I still think that's the best movie that they've done, and I think part of that is that's the first one, so it wasn't bogged down with, like, MCU stuff. It sort of stands on its own. But that movie works so largely because Robert Downey Jr. is so superhumanly charismatic and just improv all the dialogue so it's really funny i mean he just they didn't really have a script in that movie he just kind of talked and it was fine but one of the other interesting things about that film is that he gets this injury and he's stuck in this cave and gets himself out and everything but this sort of typical hero narrative which happens in this film is that you have a person who gets this power or has this opportunity to do something and they really don't want to do it and this is, you know, reluctance to go on the quest, and then they actually go on the quest, or, you know, whatever, those sort of 12 stages thing. But in Iron Man, he starts off as an asshole, he goes through this transformation, and then he comes back, and he is completely the person who is actively deciding that he wants to change the way that he's living. And that's quite interesting, because that's actually not standard. And obviously you can get into all the ethics of, like, what Iron Man is actually doing, and, like, all this stuff, but... His impulse is to say, I'm going to stop selling all these weapons to these people and I'm yeah, going to try to do... And he feels a sense right. of responsibility. So there's right. a motivation that does that makes sense. And in yeah. Doctor Strange, the transition between Doctor Strange being like, I'm learning magic so I can fix my hands and I need to use my magic to save the world against this overlord is practically overnight. And there's this scene where Rachel McAdams' very unfortunate character is like, oh my god, you've joined a cult, which that's definitely how you would react to this. And that's quite yes. an amusing reaction. I was like, yes, correct. That is how you react when your ex-boyfriend has a nervous breakdown and moves to Nepal. But like, yeah. he has joined a cult, but they haven't really shown him being indoctrinated effectively. So you don't really have the actual kind of psychological thing behind that. He's just switched into being like, well, I guess I do need to use my superpowers to save people from this thing. And it's like, what? What? But this is after he's had this bizarre argument with Chiwetel Ejiofor, which, like, is painful to me that he's in this movie, about, like, he doesn't want to kill people because he's a doctor, which is a reasonable thing to say. And Chiwetel Ejiofor is like, but you have to kill people. It's the right thing to do. And his point is actually right in the context of what's going on, because the people who they're killing want to destroy the universe. But, like, the ethics of that conversation are very odd, because it's like... It's not like, yeah, killing people is bad, but there's really nothing else we can do. He's basically like, man up, kill people. 
god, you're such a wimp. <laughs> and it's also like the military goes through extensive training to get people into the mindset where they are able to shoot someone from a distance with a gun who they've been trained to see in his enemy. And even then, people find it very difficult to do and end up traumatised. And this film is sort of positioning him from the get-go as someone who's a doctor and is mostly self-absorbed and having him switch over into being selfless and then have him kill people, right? <laughs> and there's also kind of the, the... So the character development message is very similar to Iron Man and also Thor. And I think Iron Man's great because the character development throughout the arc is incremental and also he basically remains the same person even though he has a better idea of the impact he has in the world. And in Thor, the character development they have in the first Thor movie is just really heartwarming and nice. You know, he starts off as a self-absorbed frat boy and by the end he's kind of a frat boy because he's a really nice guy because he's figured out how to be more selfless, right? It's a great movie. Fucking love Thor. <laughs> but um, in this film, the idea is that Doctor Strange has to go through that same transition where he learns that he needs to be less selfish. And the message he's given is, this whole story isn't about you. You know, the world doesn't revolve around you. But, like, every part of the story tells him that he is, right? Because he's getting yes. singled out by his mentor among all of these nameless people at the monastery who are learning the same wizard skills. He's the one who's getting personal tutoring. He's getting treated like he's special. He gets all the special gadgets and stuff, which is, like, a classic thing in this type of adventure movie. But, like, this one was just... Because they don't kind of label him as the chosen one, it just feels, like, even more obnoxious, you know? And it's like, we've selected this white guy who can save everyone. Kind of have a lot of that film already. We don't need another one. It's just... It was so repetitive. I just was sitting there thinking, like, why do I... Like, why should I care about this person? There's no yeah. reason. And it's this classic example of there being a bunch of other people who are more experienced and knowledgeable than him, right? Yeah. But he's special. Yeah. So, And from the beginning of the movie, he's just an asshole. He's not charming. He's just a jerk. And so then when he's going around acting like a jerk the whole movie, you're kind of like, okay, yeah. sure. And there's been a like, lot of comparisons to Dr. House, Hugh Laurie's character, which I also was thinking about during the first half of that movie, because I was like, I kind of wish Hugh Laurie was playing this yeah. character, because his accent's better. He's basically playing the same role. But the thing about House is that the show emphasises on an episode-by-episode basis that the character is extremely damaged and that he's emotionally fucking up all of his friends and co-workers. And there's a relationship between the way that he behaves as this like super genius asshole and the way it affects his career and the people around him. And in this you kind of get that because you see this stuff where it's like, oh, he didn't treat someone because he wanted um, a more high-profile case, which is something that happens in the comics and that sort of thing. But it never really... It doesn't really go as deep as it should, you know? It doesn't really develop anything. Well, and that, again, to go back to the Iron Man comparison, Tony Stark has this whole complicated psychological background with his parents and all of this stuff, and the person he faces off against in that movie is the person who essentially raised him. You don't get any psychological anything about Stephen Strange in this movie except that he had a girlfriend one time and then they broke up and he was mean to her. Oh my god, we need to talk about the girlfriend for a minute. Oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> After Morgan saw this movie last night, I kind of emailed her being like, did you notice that they forgot Rachel McAdams existed for the final third of the movie? <laughs> and then she doesn't get a conclusion scene. <laughs> yep, yep. It's astonishing. It is just astonishing. Poor Rachel McAdams. I can't a even... A universally liked woman. Yes. A good she... actress. 
She was very likable. She's been trying so hard. She did True Detective, which was so bad. Such a noble effort to play not a rom-com girlfriend, but oh, and now this. There is nothing here for her in this role. She literally just has to say, like, what are you doing? What's going on? You're being mean. That's it. That's her whole role. And it also fits into the whole Marvel structure. So you have your, like, white male lead, you have a female lead who's meant to be slightly more than a girlfriend role, but in this film they really did not succeed in that because her whole job is to be emotional and medical support, right? That's all she does. So she's definitely a step below most of the Marvel female leads. We also have a secondary female character, which is also Marvel's forte. They managed to have more than one woman, although this one does have a lot of problems that we will discuss later in the podcast. Um, Then you have your black sidekick character, and then you have another powerful white guy as the supervillain. So it's like exactly the same structure of characters yeah. they use as a blueprint for all of these fucking movies. Obviously, at least half of those films I adore and have watched multiple times. And I'm like, this works great. But when you can see the formula poking out through the surface, it's just like, why have you done this? <laughs> well, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me watching this movie. I just thought like, okay, this is the 13th movie, I believe, that Marvel has made. Yeah. And they're all about white men. I mean, two of those movies are Avengers movies, so they're ensembles, but most of the characters in those Avengers movies are white dudes. But even if you take those out to be extremely generous, that's 11 movies about white men. I mean, it's just, it's, that that is wild. That is really impressive. Like, what the fuck? Oh my god. And they, again, have very similar structures they're all about someone has a a thing that's gonna destroy the whole world like not the ones at the beginning so much but that has increasingly become the the way this one is arguably the most as they say problematic yeah because the others are sort of like this is hollywood so there's definitely a lot of issues with the fact that hollywood telegraphs white supremacy through all of its major films you know that's an ongoing problem in the franchise but in this it was like very in your face, especially due to the kind of ongoing controversy to do with the casting, which we are now unfortunately going to talk about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's so racist. The whole thing is so racist. It's actually not quite as racist as the trailer made it look, but the trailer was an astonishing Yeah, we recorded feat. a mini podcast about that came out. A little 10 minute podcast after we watched the trailer where we were both just sort of like, what's happened here, right? <laughs> so I think but... just, to, just to kind of backpedal a second to set the scene for this probably most of the listeners know but the character of the ancient one which is tilda swinton's mentor character in the comics was originally this asian stereotype character who was written as tibetan in most of the comics but it was often sort of ambiguous and the original comics have this sort of exoticization situation going on where it's this classic story of a white guy goes and learns like an important skill in the Himalayas and is magically better at martial arts than everyone else in the temple and saves the world, which is basically the structure they used here, except they switched over to Nepal and they changed this Tibetan character to being a Celtic woman. (laughs) They used the word Celtic, but like they didn't have anything Celtic about her, right? Which is not me being like, oh my God, we need more Celtic representation. (laughs) It's more just they used the word Celtic and then just kind of left it there. And I'm like, you could have just not said that. Whatever happened, there's been kind of a lot of discussion about this because it did become so public, you know, and the director slash writer Scott Derrickson actually did give a more thoughtful response to this after the film was made than most filmmakers I've seen in this position, right? So it's kind of clear that he does, to a certain extent, understand the criticisms people have 
And because he's promoting the film, he's obviously not going to dump on it. And also, he made a fucking film. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to excuse also, him that much. But I mean, me neither. But it's highly possible, and I would say probable, he was not the person who made that decision. Yeah. So... so I think what happened is they decided to rewrite The Ancient One because they were like, this is a racist stereotype. And also, we don't want to have a Tibetan character because of the Chinese market. So they decided that Tilda Swinton, but that was kind of seen as a solution. We're going to remove a racist stereotype by replacing it with a white person. Then that's the point where I believe they decided we're going to come back to this character of Wong, who's in the comics, who is Doctor Strange's manservant. They're like, we're going to update the character. And Wong was actually my favourite character in the movie, but like he didn't really have much of a role at all. He was kind of a an entertaining hard ass who ran the library, you know. So he was fine. A reasonably good character. And they did update someone who was Doctor Strange's manservant personal assistant, which is a garbage role. But like that's not solved the problem, right? Clearly Marvel was like, okay, right, we're gonna have this multicultural cast of extras in the background of this temple in Nepal, and it's like, there's no Nepalese people in this movie. And there's so much racist coding that I think has just been ignored in this whole conversation because it's turned into this conversation about casting and representation and it's like there's a bunch of stuff in this movie that is just really obviously coded the costumes right everyone is wearing these robes which are stylized and aren't actually like here's something that comes from the Himalayas but you can tell what the original inspiration for this is right the temple it's right there we know where it is they have a scene where Doctor Strange gets a little piece of paper with Shambhala written on it and he's like what is this my mantra for meditation and Chuetta Lidiofer is like ha do you think we're savages that's the wi-fi password and I was like the punchline of your joke is we're not savages what the fuck are you talking about this is so bad I think the coding thing is really important and interesting because I deliberately didn't read a bunch of reviews before this came out because I wanted to go in without having read much. But I did read a couple and obviously I've seen people talking about it on Twitter. And it does seem like everyone does know about the casting issue and has sort of been like, yeah, it was bad. But otherwise the movie's pretty good. And the coding to me, it's not that that's worse. It's kind of a combination of these things being issues, but it's like they don't even know it's there. Right. And that, if they had just made her be that character and said it in New York, that would still be a problem. You could say, okay, they decided to just set this thing. They decided to just and tell the story like in a different way. And she was like wearing a suit, right? you know? <laughs> right, no, that's my point. If they had just completely revamped the whole thing, then you'd still have a problem, but you could see what they were trying to do. But they literally have just done the whole thing in the same way with all of this cultural imagery surrounding these white or in the case of Chodology for black people and then this one Asian man who is not central. And it's just weird to look at. Like the whole thing is just bizarre. And the sort of team of bad guys also led by Mads Mikkelsen, I don't think any of them I mean was I mean, I don't know, but it's also like they're extras, right? They don't have roles, right? Because there's also like a bunch of people in the background of the temple who don't have roles. Yes, it's not that that would be like a substitute at all. But I was trying to pay attention to this and notice and I was like, okay, so literally all of these people are just like white people with one or two exceptions, but even they don't seem to be Asian. And I was just like, what is happening here? Like, what was going on? It's really, really weird. And watching Benedict Cumberbatch walk around in this garment that he has no business wearing at all. I was just like, what the fuck? 
it was really like Batman Begins, but worse. And of course, he's like, naturally, he learns the skill and becomes really impressive. And the whole thing's like, oh, you need to let go of everything you knew before and your whole Western philosophy to accept how to learn magic. And then the way that he becomes really good is by using the same studying skills and memory that he had that made him successful as a surgeon. So he has learned nothing. Right. And I don't understand what the thought process was. I don't understand why they had to tell this part of this story at all. As we were discussing, they could have just done a sort of mystery adventure type. Yeah, pre-credit sequence introduction to what his backstory is and then go into like a story where he's already a fucking wizard. Because it's, right. kind of, I feel it's really condescending as well, because the assumption is that, you know, this is such a weird story that we really need to have that origin formula for the audience to accept it. There's very few other genres where people feel the need to make an entire film into a prologue, right? Because obviously there's plenty of movies where the origin story is amazing. Captain America origin story, Thor origin story, Iron Man, all completely solid, right? Even to a certain extent, Ant-Man, which isn't a film I liked, that is an origin story that has an idea behind it that's relatively compelling. Whereas this, (laughs) skip the damn origin story. It reminded me a little bit of Inception because so much of the beginning of that movie is them explaining stuff. And this wasn't that to the same extent Although in Inception, they actually kind of do need to explain things to you. Yeah, they do. Because Inception, they're introducing something that's a really weird new idea where you need to understand, like, structure to understand the structure of the latter part of the film. Whereas this, you have to understand that magic exists, which we can accept because we've all watched Harry Potter. (laughs) Right. And part of the issue also with all the sort of, like, silly language being like, we draw on all this power to do X, Y, and Z, would be completely obviated if he just did the stuff, right? Because, and you just accept any of the stuff they do completely without issue. Like, it's fine. But as soon as Tilda Swinton is explaining, like, and these are our spells, and on and on and on, I was kind of like, this seems a little bit silly to me. Like, oh, I don't know It's also this. another but- thing that would work in the context of there being... Doctor Strange being the protagonist already there and us getting an entryway character who's more normal, which usually is a trope that I dislike. But if you have a situation where there's someone who's kind of like a fun, relatively normal, like, you know, like a Peter Parker type personality, right, who shows up and then you've got this guy who's like, I will summon the power of whatever to defeat the dread Dormammu. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like you still get that thing where they can do the self-indulgent comic book reference for the small fraction of the audience who've read the comics which is mostly what they were doing with all these cures, the staff of whatever. It's like, no one cares. But if you want to put that in, absolutely acceptable because we know you're all nerds and most of us are nerds too. But it's just clunky. It's very clunky. Well, the script of this movie was astoundingly bad. And this is one of the things that I think they managed to trick people with the visual effects and God knows whatever else. Maz Mikkelsen had a very good speech and it was good because it was delivered by Maz Mikkelsen. Yeah. So much more compelling than Benedict Cumberbatch. They have their big fight, and I was like, I know he's trying to destroy the world, but he's just inherently more... <laughs> I'd like him more. <laughs> I mean, he has done multiple films where basically he's a bad man who wants to destroy stuff, and you're like, oh, can't say no. <laughs> right. But I was watching it, and I just kept thinking, and I think I'm especially sensitive to this as a writer, but on the page, that must have been horrible. All the dialogue was so bad. There was one line I wish I could remember it because I remember thinking, oh my god, this is so bad. I have to remember it. And of course, obviously did not. I wish I had something to write it down on. But I literally was just sitting there in the audience and I was like, how did anyone 
put that on paper, what is going on? But even barring the like specific explicitly bad one-liners, it just wasn't good. And that's on top of all of the weird structural issues and the problem with being able to sympathize with the character and like all of this stuff. I feel like if you had read this without any of the movie, you would just have been like, what? Why would I be interested in this? But this is back to the issue. There was a good article on The Ringer that we'll link to of like, they know these movies are going to make a fuckload of money, so who cares, right? Like, it doesn't matter. Obviously, there are people involved with these movies who want them to be good, but I think a lot of people also are very cognizant of the fact yeah. that, like... It's, it's quite telling that the reshoots that we hear about publicly are things like, we've hired a very popular sitcom writer to add jokes, but they don't really care that it's following this extremely formulaic structure because from a business perspective that's what works so even if it's like a less good version it doesn't matter and i know that's kind of stating the obvious most of us know that's what's happening but it's just like there are ways that you could have made this more interesting you could have actually also just done an original story you know because <laughs> no one fucking knows who dr strange is right, right. And the guardians of the galaxy is formulaic but they basically did make it up from whole cloth because they're really obscure characters they just jumbled them all together and were like, fine, it's going to be really charming and it's going to have good visual effects. And I think in that regard, even though I think that that film was kind of sexist and there were aspects of it where I was like, ugh, I thought it was more original than Doctor Strange and visually it was better. I mean, that movie has the worst villain of any Marvel movie by far. This movie had a large head that was Benedict Cumberbatch's CGI face. But it also had Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, oh yeah. Do you remember Lee Pace just shouting? <laughs> I'd, he I'd just shouts. Oh, no, he doesn't do anything but shout and put pain on himself. Oh, I've forgotten really bad. He does. He just yeah. does no. yell. It's not good. But yes, that movie has other strengths. And this movie lacks all strengths. <laughs> it's just... Except for visual effects. But even some of the visual effects, there's... When Tilda Swinton is first convincing him that she's not just pulling his leg, she, like, sends him through the cosmos to convince him that, you know... And it's this, like, 70s trippy shit. That's no, like... that's fine. That's They're going for, like, the comics, which are from that era, so... <laughs> I, I disagree. I don't care about them having some sort of out-there stuff, but I thought it was really poorly executed and just bad-looking. Whereas there's some other stuff about them sort of, like, reshaping cities, which I thought was really cool. But that, I just was like, what am I watching? And it goes on for so long. And I just thought, why am I being made to endure this? My coworker Michelle, yesterday, was like, I'm looking forward to reading the first Stone Doctor Strange reviews. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to hear. <laughs> Oh my god, I just... But it's very hard to pull that stuff off. There was a movie last year that got nominated for Best Foreign Film that was excellent that I recommend watching instead of this film called Embrace of the Serpent. It's about colonialism and the I mean, Amazon. that genuinely sounds like a Doctor Strange comic title. Yeah, it's very different. It's about a German guy who's... It doesn't matter. But there's sort of like a dream prison trip thing at the end. The whole movie's in black and white, and then this is like in color at the end. It's just so bad. And it was the sort of thing where you're like, it's really hard to convey that type of stuff on a screen. You can do it in prose much more easily. And watching this, I was just like, oh, yeah. They managed it in 2001, and this is basically the only time, I think, that it was really effective. Interstellar was pretty good, too, but this was like, oh, it's just exhausting. It's going to make so much money. It'll be by the time this, you're listening to this, it will have already, the totals will have been out, but it's going to make like 70 or $75 million in the United States 
opening weekend. Yeah. Just a lot of money. Like, shortly before it came out here in the UK, I saw some joke tweet that was like, well, we're one week out from Doctor Strange and two weeks out from Marvel delaying Captain Marvel another six months for Doctor Strange 2. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, harsh but fair. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's still no director attached to that. And no. I don't think writer either. No. So Larson will just be in purgatory. But that's going to be a fucking origin story as well. Captain Marvel is extremely traditional hero. At least she's a woman. (laughs) Small, you know. And at least Thor 3 sounds like it's going to be something. A nice film by a nice man. Taika Waititi, whom we all love, and if you don't love him yet, it's only because you don't know him. (laughs) Yes! Well, all the interviews he's giving, like, they clearly just decided... I mean, maybe once it gets into post, they'll try to fuck with it. But it seems like they just decided that they don't care about Thor anymore and will just let it all go. Because all the interviews he's given, he's like, yeah, I never watched Winter Soldier. And I'm just sort of pretending that all the other movies don't exist. I don't really care. I was like, God bless you. He's read some comics. He's going to cast Jeff Goldblum as a space overlord. I bet this movie is going to be weirder than Doctor Strange. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, because Thor is already conceptually. Yeah. I mean, frankly, in many ways, Thor, the first Thor, is weirder than the film. Asgard's some pretty strange shit. And they, they weirded it up as well, because in the comics, they could have gone for the thing where it's like, Thor is undercover in the normal world as the fun-loving Dr. Blake. And it's like, no, we're not going to have him be a doctor. We're going to have him be like fucking space viking, and that's how you're going to like it. And you're like, correct, we did like it. Which There's is a- why I'm like, having read the Doctor Strange comics, there were other options here and you selected the worst one. Actually, before we wrap up, can I talk about the comics for a bit? Please, please. <laughs> so, the comics do not have an emotional hook. <laughs> <laughs> because although I've, I've obviously not read every Doctor Strange comic, I've read kind of sections from each era of um, its publishing and kind of the point that was by far the most influential is the mid-60s period when Steve Ditko was doing the art. And the things that people really love about this comic originally are the art, which is very psychedelic, late 60s, early 70s, a lot of weird occult stuff. But in terms of characterization, it's not really there. They've got the bare bones of this character who's this arrogant surgeon who then becomes an arrogant, weird, mystical wizard and then solves problems and goes up against weird demon dimensions and stuff. And he has various girlfriends who are just a young woman who swoons a lot. And then he's like, I'm an overbearing boyfriend. And it kind of acknowledges that the relationship isn't that great, but it's 1972. So they're not really acknowledging it that much, right? But there's there's no concept there which has the emotional hook of most superheroes, right? Because all of his problems are like, I need to travel to the dark dimension to wrestle something that looks like a giant octagon, right? On the occasions when people are endangered, it was very hard for me to care because the people who were endangered were his old mentor, who's a racist stereotype and doesn't really have a character, or his girlfriends, where I'm just, this is so sexist, I can't engage with it at all, right? <laughs> so, so you have to wait decades for someone in the modern era to write a good one, right? And there's um, a comic called The Oath, which really influenced this movie because it's kind of humorous and it's got a kind of more normal main character who highlights the weirdness and silliness of Doctor Strange and it kind of makes fun of him a bit, which I think they should have done more in this film, as I said. And it's written by Brian K. Vaughan, who wrote Saga and various other like really successful comics. And then modern newer comics just have him as kind of a side character in teams. There's a really good run of the Avengers by Jonathan Hickman from 2013 to 2015, where 
he is portrayed as darker like he makes a lot of morally ambiguous decisions because he's so detached from the world that everyone else is in that he's just like well i can just make this decision that's gonna be apocalyptically dangerous because i'm the only one who knows this and it's like that's the kind of story that would be interesting for a character like this but only in the context of him showing up in the rest of the avengers franchise and captain american iron man are like we need to save this city and doctor strange is like i am arbitrarily going to decide to end a dimension right but It just doesn't have that kind of heroic, inspirational thing going on. His personal problems are not as interesting. And because they've decided to just lift the whole story, basically, from his origin story from the 60s, and then add this Marvel Cinematic Universe formula, there's nothing there to work from. So you don't have the source material. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. No. That sounds like an issue. Yeah, well, they're very it's... nice to look at, those comics, because I was reading them just before the movie. There was one really integral part of the visuals that they don't use, which is this really cool effect, which would look amazing on these CGI sequences, which is that when he does an out-of-body experience, it's not like, here's a ghost. They just have him go completely white, so it's a white outline, and you'll have like white outlines interacting on a really complex, colourful background. That would be very arresting and not something you've seen before, whereas we've seen many movies where someone is a ghost. Yes. Which is a small point, but it's they just miss this very obvious thing that every person who yeah. reads his comics will remember. This just gets back to, like, why pick this one, right? Because Kevin Feige likes it, I think. It, yes, that's the only reason, especially since the magic thing doesn't really exist in this universe except I mean, for Thor, Thor kind but of. But I, I also, like, I can accept that, you know, like, whatever. Well, just... right, like, it's it's if it were done well, it wouldn't be an issue at all. But it wasn't. And so then that makes you think, what was the impetus for picking something that doesn't really fit with what you've created? Like, if they had an idea behind it, that would be totally fine. But I'm not convinced that they did. Well, and you did find another... an Infinity Stone, Morgan. Of course. And as we know, Infinity Stones are fascinating. Oh my <laughs> fucking god. But he's a white man, so... It's fine. It's fine. They gotta find all of the the best white man characters in their catalog and uh, and go with that. It's really I look forward to doing a podcast about superhero movies where we talk about how much we love them. I feel like it's really a love hate thing at this point yeah. for me because <laughs> there are so many of them. Yeah. In a way that's like they've overtaken the whole market, and I like them when they're good, but I don't need there to be like seventy five a year, which is what it feels like is happening now. And they're mostly bad well, at this point. At some point so. in the next few months, I think we're going to rewind and look at the Batman franchise. Yes. Because all of the early Batman movies are great. So Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's our, that's our really um, fun, not at all Killjoy podcast, but this movie. Um, maybe some of you will enjoy it, in which case I'm very happy for you, because I don't actually want people to hate movies but unfortunately i often do so but however i would not recommend going to see this at and all. we definitely have lived up to our title of overinvested because oh boy do we care too much about this <laughs> dumb movie <laughs> which is like the reason we care is because we're so invested in the integrity of the marvel cinematic universe and it's like why and hollywood why? in general i just want there to be good films that yeah. people go see and so many of them are garbage well i've got some good news for you there's a third triple x movie coming out like yes. starring oh vin God. diesel the trailer features him skateboarding along the exterior wall of a bus i watched that trailer <laughs> twice yesterday 
Um, and it brought great joy to me. So I'm looking forward to that movie immensely. Yes. You <laughs> January said that... 2017, when we're at like the peak of seasonal depression, it's going to be great. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but next week, we will be talking about a big blockbuster that is actually original, which is very exciting. Arrival. Oh, oh we are doing Arrival. I yes. had forgotten that. Yes. <laughs> so next uh, week, we'll be recording a podcast about Arrival. And also, I will be on BBC Radio Scotland talking about Arrival as well. So if you want to tune in there. <laughs> yeah. So Gab is just going to be all Arrivaled out. And I think we are also potentially going to be doing nocturnal animals depending on when it's screening as a kind of a weird two movies in yeah. one podcast kind of deal um, where they have nothing to do with each other they have amy adams amy adams is in both of them it was in the tube the other day and there were two massive ads for both of them right next to each other and i thought amy adams doing pretty well washing out the bad taste of batman v superman yes i'm always rooting for amy adams so that was an unfortunate development in her <laughs> her career but she is doing fine now um you've already seen arrival at the London Film Fest, but I have not. I couldn't go to that one, so I'm very excited to see that. It's directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve, who directed Sicario, who's very talented, and shot by Bradford Young, who is like the best younger cinematographer alive right now, in my opinion. And again, it's not based on anything. There will be no sequels. It is based on something. It's based on a short story. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so check that out. Check out Nocturnal Animals, and we will be talking about those next week uh thank you for listening as always and if you enjoyed this please leave a rating or review on itunes we that's how we find new listeners otherwise you can find us at overinvestedpodcast.com on twitter at overinvestedpod and on tumblr at overinvestedpodcast thanks bye